Costello. I'm going to New York with you. You know, Bucky Harris, the Yanks manager, gave me a job as coach for as long as you're on the team. Look, Habit, if you're the coach, you must know all the players. I certainly do. Well, you know, I, mean, I never met the guys, so you'll have to tell me their names, and then I'll know who's playing on the team. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you their names, but you know, strange it may seem, they give these ball players nowadays very peculiar names. You mean funny names? Strange names, pet names, like Dizzy Dean and... His brother Daffy. Daffy Dean. I'm their French cousin. French? Gouffet. Gouffet Dean. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, let's see, we have on the bags, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find I out. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Are you the manager? Yes. You're going to be the coach, too? Yes. And you know the fellow's name? Oh, I should. Well, then who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? Yes. <laughs> Look, you got a first baseman? Certainly. Who's playing first? That's right. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is the fellow's name on first base. Who? The guy that gets the That's money. That's it. Who gets the money on he first base? He does, every dollar. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Who's wife? Yes. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Look, what I want to know is when you sign up the first baseman, how does he sign his name to the Who? contract? The guy. Who? How does he sign his That's name? That's how he signs it. Who? Yes. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, don't change the players. Though. I'm not changing nobody. Take it easy, buddy. I'm only asking you who's the guy on first base? That's right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Name on first base. No, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on who's second. Who's on first? I don't know. Oh, he's on third. We're not talking about him. Now, let's <laughs> now, how did I get on third base? Why, you mentioned his name. If I mentioned a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? What's on first? What's on second? I don't know. He's on third. There I go, back on third again. <laughs> Now, who's playing third base? Why do you insist on putting who on third base? What am I putting on third? Oh, what is on second? You don't want who on second? Who is on first? I don't know. Third, third base? <laughs> Look, you got outfield? Sure. The left fielder's name. Why? I just thought I'd ask. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Then tell me who's... Hello again, everybody. This is Rich Martin, and this is uh, a Life in Baseball, a Life in General podcast. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, you know, every week, uh, this is incidentally the 17th inning. 17th inning for the 17th episode of this podcast. You know, every week I open with, uh, hello again, everybody. And that was uh, the um, beginning of every Yankee broadcast with the great Mel Allen. You know, it's interesting. I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan, but of course, um, I only lasted until 1957. So um, I, uh, at the beginning, listened uh, to uh, the Yankee broadcasts, and that was with Mel Allen and Red Barber. Red Barber was uh, the Dodger manager when um, Jackie Robinson played, and he was uh, an old Southern guy and uh, great. He was great. Reminded you of Vince Scully in in today's game, although Vince is just retired. And... uh, but I didn't have any any um, broadcasts for the Dodgers after 57. I was only eight years old. I didn't hear the games. And then, of course, the Dodgers were in L.A. And when the Mets came in 62, they had the booth of Ralph Kiner, Lindsey Nelson, and Bob Murphy. Uh, and they were great. Uh, I was with them for a long time. Uh, Bob Murphy ultimately went over to the uh, radio booth where Howie Rose is today. And uh, Lindsey Nelson was the lead. Uh, He was a pretty uh, famous broadcaster in 1962 um, and did a lot of football as well. 
and of course he's been taken uh, there's been many uh, uh, incarnations but he's been taken um, by uh, of course uh, the best in the business Gary Cohen Gary Cohen incidentally uh, I met Gary Cohen at uh, at Shea uh, he was um, uh, he, he had signed his son up for the baseball camp and I thought that was really cool. I, I love Gary Cohen. I, I, his calls are great. And uh, anyway, so I was at a game, and um, I wanted to go visit. And I knew he knew me. He had signed up. He sent in a $250 deposit, which I'll get to later. Anyway, uh, I went to uh, Shea, and uh, I asked. I said, listen, is it possible to speak to Gary Cohen? It was before the game, and he was in the – they have like a little um, – uh, like an area in the back uh, near the press box where all the guys. Uh, and so um, I got the message to him, and it came back that he would see me. I, I forget who I was with, one of the guys, and we went to the back, and he was sitting across from Bob Murphy, who was, you know, it was ridiculous. I mean, I, I, the deal uh, with Bob Murphy and Gary Cohen. And uh, I said, the guy, Rich Martin from the baseball, oh, Rich, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, for sure I'm going to get advertising uh, on the Mets. Gary's going to say what a great time his son had. Anyway, I discussed it with him. I said, listen, uh, I want to give you a couple of dollars off. Uh, you know, I mean, don't give us, I mean, I think it was about $600 a week back then. And he said, no, 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 you know, listen, uh, give it to somebody who, has, who won't be able to afford it. He was most gracious. And a real gentleman, and so what happened later on really upset me. But anyway, uh, we fast forward to the summer. Uh, this happened in the spring, and uh, it's a week before Gary Cohen's son's coming to camp. And I, can't, I think he was 10 or something. And I can't wait. Uh, and um, the week before he was coming, we had a great camp, a lot of fun, a lot of craziness. And the kids were, were crazy. And we had huge crowds. Uh, anyway... Um, I get a call that um, Gary Cohen wants to speak to me. So I, I get on, I call him back, actually. I say, hey, Gary, uh, uh, is there anything I could do, anything special? He said, well, we're going to cancel uh, our uh, visit. I said, oh, my God. I said, I feel so terrible about that. Look, I said, I'll send you the money right back. Uh, and we had a policy. We never sent any money back. What are you, crazy? But anyway, um, he uh, he said, no, no, no. Uh, he said, uh um, don't worry about that. I said, well, could I ask, is it something personal? He said, gee, I don't want my son at your camp. I said, really? How come? He said, well, a friend of his went uh, last week, and all he did this week when he came home was regale us with, um, wait, you got to hold on. Anthony Verdi's calling me. Hold on. Sorry about that. Um, Anthony uh, Verdi, who... Uh, Played for me at Ramapo, who was an assistant at Ramapo, and he's now an assistant uh, in the Metropolitan uh, Collegiate Baseball League with me, and he's our pitching coach for the world-famous Overpeck Creek Monsters. And Sunday night is our draft, so we're going over all of our uh, players uh, to make sure that uh, we pick the right guys. And um, it's a really fun season. There are six teams uh, in this league, and we play all around uh, the northern New Jersey area, and uh, all the kids that play are either of the great majority of collegiate players, and then there's a couple of high school players, <coughs> excuse me, on each team. Um, so the draft is uh, 
Sunday night, we're just going over uh, some of the guys that um, we're going to choose. So just to finish the Gary Cohen story, Cohen says, uh, I don't want my son to go to your camp. I said, why? He goes, well, my friend was there with his son, and he learned so many new words that they've changed, uh, um, you know, a lot of things have changed in the household. So I was so embarrassed. And, you know, it was absolutely a locker room humor type of thing. I mean, it was, you know, it really was. I mean, you know, I mean, the kids are away from home. Not not necessarily from the coaches or from us or even from me. I was pretty careful. But, you know, when the kids are in a room, four kids are in a room, and they're 12, 13 years old, uh, you know, you, you know what goes on. Personalities change, and guys try to be dominant. And guys try to be, uh, you know, uh, different, you know, and and uh, and they're away from home, and there's, you know, the rules are, are less. So um, I was so embarrassed, uh, but I was pissed off. I said, "Well, how dare he do that? Why doesn't he give me a chance to explain?" And I'll watch, you know, I'll make sure I room him with perfect kids. And so um, I, what I did was I, I and, and I forgot it wasn't that I did it on purpose. And I was reminded, like, months later, you know, you never send Gary Cohn back his deposit, which I wasn't supposed to do because if you canceled a week before, we've already booked the room and we've done everything. But, I mean, I was Bush. I should have sent it back to him. Gary, I know you're not listening, but if anybody that knows you is, I'm so sorry that I didn't give you. I owe you $250. Uh, I'd be happy to to pay you in person. I'd love to sit and talk to you again. Uh, he's such a, a great uh broadcaster and he's uh, unbelievable knowledge uh, about about the game um he um he's one of my favorites of all time like Vince Scully was and Mel Allen and Russ Hodges and some of the other great announcers that I grew up with um, as it turns on as it turns out I wanted to I, I've got a couple of emails um about uh, my philosophy of baseball and um I started a, a couple of innings ago, a bunch of innings ago, I started talking about, uh, this is unbelievable, hold on one more time, I'll give you a mom's update, hold on one more time, sorry about that, that was that was my uh, sister, you know, I told you, I wanted to mention, um, before we go any further, uh, about mom and uh, what happened, you know, you know that her house burnt down, the house that I grew up in, and my sister and I grew up in. Uh, she lived in that house for 74 years, and the house burnt down. Uh, now it's uh, about 10 days ago, and uh, she's hanging in. She's not doing great. She's, you know, uh, she, she has these little fits of crying. She's 93, and uh, a lot of stuff wasn't destroyed. You know, uh, uh, mo- what burnt was mostly the walls and the ceilings. Uh, the actual stuff inside the house. I mean, a lot of it is damaged from smoke and, and uh, water, but a lot of things w- were able to be saved as far as mementos and stuff like that, so uh, so she, um, you know, she's been uptight, and she has shingles, which is very painful, and um, so the doctor came to see her, and uh, he said that she might, um, the shingles might be because of, um, of the um, uh, stress, so... Um, he gave her a, a Xanax, so I'm not. I don't like Xanax. I had to take them one time many many years ago. They're very addictive, and 
They knocked the shit out of you. So anyway, she took one. They gave her one in the morning when the aide was there, and she didn't wake up for the whole day. She slept the whole day. So that's the end of the uh, Xanax um, trial. So I said, give her like half a volume or something just to calm her down because she was uh, she was really uptight. But we're moving on, and um, we want to see if we can get her uh, somewhere in assisted living. She's down with my sister now. And, um, you know, listen, getting old, I told my, my niece, listen, when I'm about 80 and you see me drive off a bridge, you'll know it's nothing personal. But uh, getting old doesn't sound to be too much fun. Um, I, you know, my mom, of course, adding to everything else, she can't see. She's legally blind. She has to wear hearing aids. She doesn't move around that well. So it's a disaster. But, you know, God's blessed us over the years with wonderful uh, children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews. And so I hope that, um, you know, she, she she's very, very strong. They're the women in my family, are the, they're, the, they're the Nazis. They're the strong ones. I call my niece a Herr, Herr Gina. Oh, not Herr, Fräulein. Herr is a sir. Fräulein Gina. Because uh, they're all very, very tough. So I was, I was, I was saying, um, they've, uh, you know, they, they asked me what my philosophy is about coaching. And I didn't, I haven't really, uh, you know, I really haven't put anything down in writing. Although I've been, I am going to do that. Somebody asked me by email to write the answer, uh, some questions about coaching. They want to uh, present it, uh, I guess, as a, a term paper. This is a, a high school uh, kid. Um, you know, I, so some of the thoughts that come to mind is, uh, you know, I think coaching is is, uh, is something that's a gift. Uh, you know, you're allowed to enter the lives of, of these uh, young men and sometimes women and, um, and, and become uh, not only a role model, if you choose, but also um, someone who can help define some of the things in their life. You know, when you're a young person, and uh, I coached high school baseball for 10 years, and I coached uh, uh, college baseball for 35 years, and I also coached Sandlot baseball for five, six years. Um, uh, you know, I was able to actually deal with and know, get to know and interact with thousands of of young men, and again, some women. I've mentioned that at Hofstra, I had the only female um, player in the NCAA Division I at the time. Uh, now it's a big deal when you're a manager in the Yankee system or coaching for the Giants when you're a woman. Um, I don't really get it. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not against it, but I don't really understand it, considering... Um, it's really not. It's It seems to me to be difficult to to enjoy something as much if you haven't played it. Although that might be, you know, since I did play, that might be, you know, out of line. I I don't know. I mean, I don't have really solid thoughts about that. But anyway, um, I was able to, to deal with all these young lads. And again, I've had these incredible, wonderful relationships. Colin McGrath, who played for me at Bishop Lachlan High School in Brooklyn, he wrote me the other day. He was telling me some of the stories that we went through, which I had forgotten, quite honestly. And Colin was a great guy, a great kid. Um, and, you know, I, I'm afraid to even talk to them. They're old now. And it scares the hell out of me because uh, 
I don't consider myself old. You know, mentally, I'm, you know, still Peter Pan. But uh, physically, <laughs> that's, a, that's something else. You know, with my eye surgery going well, I'm able to see a lot better, and that's helped a great deal. But um, I don't, um, you know, getting ready for this uh, summer season in the Metropolitan Collegiate Baseball League, uh, which is run, incidentally, by uh, Brian Casey and Renee Miranda, who are outstanding men and outstanding organizers. And it's I love the league. I love the coaches. They're all good guys, especially my dear friend Mark Rizzi, who we coached against each other. Um, in um, in the um, the NJAC, Mark was at Rutgers Newark, and I, of course, was at Ramapo. We had many, many games together. So Mark is in this league as well. And actually, Mark won the championship last year. Well, how dare he beat us? Uh, but uh, <laughs> he had a good team. He deserved it. He did a good job. And uh, I'm happy for Mark. Uh, of course, I tease him every chance I get, but uh, he's a good guy. Um, anyway, um so, um, you know, some of the things that I, I highlighted with, with coaching, I mean, remember, I, I, I've had great, great teachers, and really the, 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 um, the, the mentality of coaching, you know, is what I was most interested in and what I learned <clears throat> the, first, the idea of being able to deal with people as an individual and treating people individually different. Now, you can... Who says you can't do both? You can collectively treat everybody, you know, rules, regulations, making sure they do the right thing, say the right thing, uh, follow the rules, be punished if they don't, and so on. But in, in the same respect, you can talk to them and find out what makes them special, what what their strengths and weaknesses are, um, and be there for them. My door was always open. Excuse me. <coughs> My door was always open. I, I made it a point to make sure that, uh, my office door was open, and I would have lunch, as disgusting as it was for many of the players having to watch me eat lunch every day. Um, I wouldn't leave my office, uh, and I would stay time. I didn't come in early because I'm not an early person. Baseball's to be played in the afternoon and at night. I remember we used to go to Florida and have these, like, 8 o'clock games. I, I wanted to kill somebody. But anyway, um, so my office was always open, and I would stay sometimes 8, 9 at night. And guys would wander by. My, my office at Ramapo was right next to uh, the entrance to the uh, uh, to the Bradley Center. So um, a lot of guys would just stick their head in and see if I was still around. And um, so I was able to really become, I, I, I have to say, I, I had a lot of wonderful, wonderful young men who played for me at all the stops. I can give you names of great players and great people. And I know, and I say it to this day, I'll tell it to my new team uh, this, this summer, I'll tell you within a day or two of knowing you whether you're going to be a success or not. And I've, I'm always right. These are guys, and I, when I say success, I don't mean a millionaire. I mean a, a productive, a normal, <laughs> whatever that means, a member of society who contributes, uh, has a family, uh, is able to love. You know, if you can love someone or be loved by someone, um, you're basically up the perfect human being. You know, I never forget when I first heard, um, and in the end, the love you um, make is equal to the love you take. I always thought that was like an amazing thought, you know. 
And I try to live my life like that um, as best I, I can. I don't hesitate to tell somebody I love them uh, because I think it's important that, you know, and in the old days I tell the story where my dad and I, we weren't really that, um, you know, we were very close, don't get me wrong, and I loved him dearly and I miss him dearly. Um, he was the sweetest thing. But um, there was no real affection and, um, you know, as far as a lot of hugging and kissing, as and, and we were Italian, you know, so that was interesting. As we got older, as I got older and he got older, we became more and more. And I remember when he was in the hospital before he passed, I made it my business to hug him and kiss him. And, and you know, but th this is a man that was in World War II. He was injured in World War II, won a bunch of medals and served this country, never, ever, ever spoke about it, would never talk about it. And um, and he was a great role model for me. And, uh, of course, uh, every time, um, you know, my favorite baseball movie is Field of Dreams. And at the end of that movie, when, when uh, dad and son play catch, well, it always brings me to tears uh, because that's the fond memory of my my dad and I uh, going to games and watch, watching every one of my Little League games, being in the Boy Scouts with me, and he was a wonderful man. And um, he really passed. He died at uh, 72, at the age of 72, which is way too soon. I miss him tremendously. Um, so, um, you know, those, are, those were some of the things that I brought into coaching. I wanted to make sure that the guys were taken care of. I wanted to make sure that I was always available to help them. And there's a huge, there's a tremendous amount of stories about help. I can't, if I get into it now, it'll be hours. And maybe the next uh, podcast, I'll talk about some of the things that happened. I know one time there was, um, I had the uh, misfortune of mentioning to the players that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a diabetic. I've been a diabetic for 30 odd years. And, you know, you lose some of your extremities, uh, some of the um, sensitivity in your extremities, your your tips of your fingers, your toes, and other extremities, if you know what I'm talking about. And so um, my sugar was out of control. It's Now it's been good. My, my last, uh, uh, my last um, A1C was 6.6, uh, I think. So I'm in good shape now, but um, even though I'm way overweight, or as the doctor says, you know, Mr. Martin, you are morbidly obese. I said, <laughs> can't you just say obese? You have to throw in morbidly? I mean, you know, how much worse could I feel? But anyway, um, you know, so uh, I wound up uh, trying the Viagra. And, um, of course, I would tell my players everything. I would never hold back. I would always be honest with them and tell them how I felt about them why I cared about them, uh, and so on and so forth. I wanted them. You know, you always know how you feel about somebody, but you really never know how they feel about you unless they tell you. And so I took it upon myself to to tell them and to be honest with them and to, you know, sometimes hurt their feelings, uh, not that I meant to, but most times uh, lift their spirits because I, I tried to do the right thing. I put them all on pedestals. I always thought that was, because I really felt that way, and I always thought, I mean, I had such great, great kids. I could give you hundreds of names 
of guys that I would take a bullet for who were just so wonderful. And when you're young and, and you're impressionable and you're, you know, and, and you and you want to please, uh, it, it's such a wonderful way to um, uh, approach life because you listen and you and you try to do things the right way and and then you learn. You learn that maybe you shouldn't have listened. Maybe you, you should have doubted whatever it was. And, and you learn to make mistakes and you learn to, I mean, uh, nobody has learned more from their mistakes than me. That's for sure. Nobody. But um, anyway, I mentioned that I was going to try Viagra because of the diabetes. And uh, of course, everybody got a big kick out of that. And uh, so I showed them the pills. I had them on my desk, and I, I went to lunch or something. I came back, and two of the pills were missing. So I didn't think anything of it uh, other than somebody had stolen them. I said, well, they're so stupid. I mean, these are your young, virile men. I mean, they don't need uh, Viagra. Um, as it turned out, the, the Viagra didn't work for me. Uh, what worked for me was watching my uh, uh, diet and uh, watching my sugar. And when I did, the, the, the pills were necessary. But I did get a phone call in the middle. Of, we had a day off uh, one week, and I got a phone call in the middle of the uh, uh, day that from one of the players. I won't mention his name, but he um, he was um, screaming on the phone. I needed to help him, and he couldn't call anybody else but me. And I took that as sacred. I knew that was important, but in this case... It was because he was the one that had stolen the Viagra, and at this point he had had an erection for over four hours, and was hysterical. So um, I, I told him to calm down. I asked where he was. He was in his dorm room. I said, "All right, uh, you need to go to the hospital." No, I can't go. They're going to ask questions. I said, "Well, it's not the end of the world. You didn't, you know." But of course, to, to somebody nineteen, twenty years old, it was the end of the world. Anyway. Um, I picked him up at his dorm room. We rushed to the hospital, and um, unfortunately, and I wouldn't want to go through this, and I hope nobody else has to, they injected into him, uh, into his uh, member, they injected some sort of a solution that uh, decreased his uh, erection and got him back uh, to normal. Um, but the idea of somebody not being able to... Um, you know, to, to uh, function without this, um, uh, uh, you know, without this thing interfering um, is, is crazy. And the funny part was he wasn't even, he just tried it to see how it was. It wasn't even involved in anything. There was no sex act involved or anything. He just wanted to see what, how he would react to it. And boy, did he react over four hours worth. So, um if that doesn't show you how committed I am to my players, uh, I don't think anything will. And as far as uh, philosophy, philosophy is concerned, um, you know, I, I believe in um, giving people a, a fair chance. I believe in caring about people. I believe uh, that uh, you have sometimes have to give uh, people enough rope to hang themselves. We've had players that think they're great, and so we've said, okay, go out and, and show us that you're great. And uh, if they can, that's wonderful. You know, one of, our, one of our sort of rules is play baseball any way you want. You want to throw uh, lefty and righty. You want to spit balls out of your mouth 
or other orifices of your body, that's fine with me. But be successful. If you're not successful, then you have to listen to what we have to say. If you don't listen to what we have to say, and you continue to be unsuccessful, then you can't play. If you listen to what we say, and you improve, then you can play. But ultimately, it's a game of numbers, it's a game of results, and you have to be able to do the job. If you do the job, then you're able to play. Every time you're on the field, every time you're in a meeting, every time you're in front of me, it means something. And so you have to act accordingly. You have to listen. You have to listen, not hear, but listen. Over the years, that's been a big deal. People don't listen, and they don't want to be bothered, especially young people, because they have a real serious issue. They they are strong and, again, virile and uh, men, and they know everything, but they know nothing. They have no experience in anything. They've lived in this life where they've been closeted by their parents and their friends, and they know nothing of the real world and certainly nothing about failure or defeat. And so... Um, they pump their chest out like they're, they know everything and they're strong, and in reality, they know nothing. They should listen. Now, the problem is having a person that speaks to them that's honest and it does the right thing. There are a lot of coaches who are dishonest and are interested in one thing, putting those trophies up uh, on, on their uh, mantle. You know, listen, uh, you know, I told, I've mentioned my record before. Uh, it's not my record. It's the record that uh, of the teams that I've coached and the guys that I've uh, asked to, to perform and go out there and give 100%. And I'm very proud of it. And I mention why, because every program I've ever, um, I've ever uh, taken a job with, I've had to rebuild. Right now, I'm, I'm in the process of uh, speaking to a, an organization, to a, a college about taking over, and the coll- and the, the team is terrible. And that's the way I want it. I want to be able to build, because I can. I know how to do that. I've done it at all three schools, as I mentioned. Dominican didn't even have a program when we started. Hofstra was the worst Division One in the country, and Ramapo hadn't won in 20 years uh, before we, we, we got to any of these schools. So uh, God's blessed me in the ability to bring in great assistants, bring in great kids. And, and, you know, one of the things that I, when I recruit, one of the things that I do, I'll I'll sit with a kid and his parents and I'll say, first of all, what type of person are you? Are you a good person? Are you respectful? Do you follow rules? I'm not saying you have to be a choir boy or an altar boy, but I am saying, I mean, I certainly wasn't, but I am saying that you, you need to be respectful. That's the first question I ask. And secondly, I ask if they're going to sacrifice. Are they going to sacrifice in school? Are they going to be able to to go to class and pass? Because if they don't pass, they're useless. They can't play. They're ineligible. So they have to go to class, and I make sure that they do by dealing with their teachers and such. We had great success with that. And then lastly, I'll say to them, what type of player are you? Now, of course, I've looked into all these things beforehand. And so I get a pretty good idea of what I'm dealing with. But you notice the, the, the way it works. First is what type of person. Second is what type of student um, and, uh, and make a commitment. And third is what type of player. And if those things all come together, then I get great players. Maybe not the greatest baseball player in the world, but I want to tell you probably some of the greatest people 
There was a young man who came to us uh, in 19, I don't know, maybe in maybe 2014 or 13, I don't remember, and his name was Joe Venturino. His dad had played uh, minor league ball with the Angels. He got to AAA, which is no joke. Uh, Phil Venturino and his dad was uh, a great, great player in the neighborhood and someone who was very infamous, uh, which means in Brooklyn, famous. And uh, so Joe was at uh, Monsignor Farrell on Staten Island, and we convinced him to come. He weighed about a buck forty. Um, he was a string bean, and um, and I just saw something in him. I don't know when he went out there. Like he just he refused. I mean, he didn't. He didn't. He wasn't really pretty. You know what I mean? Like he didn't do anything um, pretty on the field. He wasn't graceful. He was a little choppy. Uh, he was. I think he played shortstop at, at uh, in high school. I moved him to second base, and um, I used to tease them, and they used to laugh that for some reason the ball would stick to his glove. He wasn't perfect in his, you know, in, in his bend and in receiving the ball, but the ball never left. Once he touched the ball, it it, it never left his glove. As a matter of fact, I, the way I can prove this is we had a rough game against Drew University where Joe made a couple of errors. And it still is in my mind to this day, out of all of the games, the hundreds of games that he played, well, I shouldn't say hundreds, but the, uh, the um, 150 games he played for Ramapo, that game stands out in my mind. But Joe was a great player, a great leader, and one of the, the greatest kids. I, I adore him. And, and every day that I spent with him, what was a, a day in heaven? I loved him so. I love him so much, and his family. Unfortunately, his mom, who was the sweetest thing, passed away. She was such a wonderful, wonderful person, and it was a terrible time for Joe and and, and his dad and his sister. And uh, I don't know what to do. Uh, there really is anything that you can do, but um, I made sure that I dedicated myself to Joe because I know, in fact, that he dedicated himself to me. And so, uh, lo and behold, we made the College World Series uh, in 2015. Joe was an an All-American second baseman, and uh, God shining down on us, and his mom shining down. Joe was drafted by the uh, Seattle Mariners and played a bunch of years in the minor leagues before he decided to move on to bigger and better things. But when he came, he was less than an average player, when he left, he was a player that that was a, played professional baseball, and I think it had more to do with the mental aspect of the game than the physical aspect. Certainly, we gave him every opportunity to improve uh, in, in in the coaching and uh, the great guys that worked with him, but uh, ultimately, is about him growing up and taking responsibility and becoming a man and. Um, even to mention his name brings a smile to my face. I, I can't say enough good things about him, and uh, I don't get to see him as much as I'd like to, but um, every chance his name comes up, uh, believe me, there's a smile. Um, so those are the things that were important to me. There were so many other things that went into uh, my philosophy. Uh, I believe very much in that the more you deposit, the more difficult it is to walk away. So that if you really work hard, it's not so easy to just give up because you've put so much work in. I forced them and pushed them to do that. 
I broke their shoes. I made sure they followed the rules. I made sure that if I said something, as far, especially as far as punishment was concerned, I would stick to it. There was never a question when I said something like that. If, there were, if I said that you weren't going to play or you were going to be suspended or this or that, that would be the case. And I had this, this ridiculous um, athletic director who um, had the nerve. I had two players um, who played um, one, one season, one, and Dave Jacob and Travis Zill, Zill, both great players and great um, uh, you know, winners at Ramapo. They helped us put the program on the map. Dave was an, uh, the other All-American that we had. And there was an instance one time where they were involved with some, I don't know, beer beer cans or it was some, you know, it was some minor thing that they got caught on. I mean, the school had ridiculous rules. They would go into your, they would go into your garbage to see if, uh, if you. I had one kid suspended one time because he would use uh, wine to uh, cook in his room, and uh, they suspended him for having alcohol in his room. I mean, you know. Stupid stuff that they couldn't. I mean, they couldn't control their own uh, professors and people and, and administrators, and they were worried about somebody cooking with wine. Anyway, I, I disciplined the, the players, and I've disciplined many players. I've suspended many players, and the athletic director said, "Ah, oh, you, you went easy on them because they were two of your best players." Well, you idiot! That was the exact reason I didn't go easy on them. I punished them when they shouldn't have been punished. They didn't do anything wrong. But I did it because they were leaders, and, and I needed to set an example. And that's the we, one of the reasons we were successful. I always stuck to my guns. didn't mean I didn't talk to them. It didn't mean I didn't hug them. It didn't mean that I would suspend somebody uh, and then take them to dinner that night to talk it out with them. doesn't mean he wasn't still suspended, but we had a nice meal in discussing it. So those are some of the things that that I did, and there were so many, so many more. But... Um, I wanted to finish up uh, this week um, with, um, you know, I mentioned about the broadcasts at the beginning, and there's a, a cute little um, uh, musical display. It's like a rap song, and it features Mel Allen, and it, it's a real nice little jingle, and I think you'll enjoy it. So please stay tuned for that. Remember, if you want to reach us, we're at ramapo35 at gmail.com. If you're interested in buying cigars at the All-Star uh, cigar company. It's allstarcigarco at gmail.com. And lastly, if you're interested in the All-Star Youth Project, the 501c3 charity that helps uh, funding for children throughout the tri-state area, you can get to us at All-Star Youth Organization. I'm sorry, Rich. Say it again. Youth Store. Youth. <laughs> okay, here we go. Allstaryouthproject.org. Allstaryouthproject.org. Org. Please come and see us again next uh, week, and we'll have some more uh, good stuff for you. The Mets are doing well. The Yankees are doing well. So the New York teams are doing okay. And um, let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy the weekend. And uh, bless you all. God bless you all. And when you get a chance, say a prayer for Mom. She could use it as we as all we all can. Thank you, and I'll see you soon. Stay tuned for Mel Allen. New number with a hot new rapper at the mic. Hey, they forced me.
Hello there, everybody. This is Mel Allen. It's a bright, sunny afternoon, and what a beautiful day for a ball game. Play ball! I was small, skinny, about four foot three. I carved me a baseball bat from a tree. I joined the little league and got me a glove. It was then I knew baseball was my love. 95 degrees at game time. That's a hot one. Reminds me of one of those old Brooklyn stickball days. Just got to say, hey, kid, Jazz, Aaron, and the Mix. All street hills, boys, take your pick. Let the ball bounce once, then take your swing. Touch those sewers out the neighborhood. Sing! <laughs> and while playing ball on the city streets, many youngsters have wide-eyed major league visions. The pitch, the count, three, two. He swung that stick and that ball flew. Man, the line, what a drive. A grand slam homer, that ain't no jive. I was around the third, the coast left the high five. I got mild that the flip, the crowd came alive. Now it ain't no dream, for heaven's sake. I'm not asleep, I'm wide awake. Wait, wait. Baseball is a dream for me, yeah. and the major leagues is the place to be. You're right. Baseball is a dream for me. Ah, man, that's too downtown for an uptown boy. This week, Old Spice salutes Keith Hernandez of the Mets. In a rare pinch hitting role, Hernandez delivered a clincher in the clutch, drilling a ninth inning homer to beat San Francisco four to three. Pinch hitting uh, is not it's not an easy job, and that's the first pinch hit home run of my career, even though I haven't pinched hit a lot. But uh, I'm just very fortunate uh, and very happy that I did it. It's the right time now that I'll get us up, and hopefully we'll move down to San Diego and do some damage. Hernandez did just that against the Padres, going five for five for the third time in his career as New York swept all three games in San Diego. Congratulations, Keith. And that's all for now, folks. See you next week on This Week in Baseball.